Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. I want to say a good morning to all of us, all of you meeting in the North site this morning, to many of you watching and listening online, wherever you might be, part of our community, part of another church around the world. We're glad you're with us today. If you've got a Bible again, we'd like to encourage you to open it up virtually or physically back into the book of First Peter. This has been a very interesting series for our church. We've been getting a lot of amazing and difficult feedback throughout our connect groups. I I was doing waffles with my kids a few weeks ago on Saturday morning. I don't know if you've ever used to do that, but we were doing that. And actually my wife, I think was that morning was at the gym. and, And so I went downstairs, got the waffle maker out and was making waffles. Now I've talked to you about how my wife and I disagree, uh, over waffles in different ways, but here's what I like doing after I make waffles for my children. I like pouring batter into the waffle maker and then getting huge slices of cheddar cheese, real cheddar cheese, putting it in the batter and baking the cheese right into the waffles. Now, I think this is, thank you, thank you. I think this is, my wife thinks this is the most disgusting thing on earth, but she wasn't there, so I don't care. She's brainwashed our children and she'll lose in the end, but uh, I, I love this and I love it because you put the maple syrup over it and it's salty and it's sweet and it's it's, it's everything that life, it's Canadian 101. It's beautiful. Now you're like, well, John, what's the connection between First Peter suffering and waffles? Let me tell you. I was thinking about this sincerely, how these things that should never go together produce something, in my opinion, that is great. This series has been that. This series has been unexpected things being put together, creating something that in the process looks actually quite gross and difficult, but in the end produces a beautiful thing. So many of us, as we've been talking genuinely about 1 Peter, have been inspired and broken. We have been filled with faith, and some of us feel like our faith is being shipwrecked. We've suddenly begun to be confronted with what a normal Christian life looks like, not in a North American standard, but from a biblical standard. We've been pushed to the limits, wondering if we really believe in eternity. Do we really believe in eternal life? If nothing else changes in my life, is the resurrection of Jesus enough for me to keep going? We've been hope-filled and hopeless and everything in the middle. And yet in the end, the reason why this is such a word in season for our church is because it is producing in us a deep-rooted faith that goes beyond the moment. It's producing a beautiful thing. Now don't forget, if you're joining us for the first time or all over again, why First Peter was written. Peter is now an older man, and he is writing to a group of churches that are just at the beginning of persecution. Nero is now on the throne. Rome is now turning on the Christian church formally, governmentally, and they are about to either go through a storm, they cannot avoid it, or they're already in it. Now, what's interesting as we've been going through 1 Peter, Peter has not addressed one group of people yet. He has not addressed the leaders of the church And so now, in this moment, in this book, in this letter, Peter turns his gaze to the leaders. And here's what he says. To the elders among you, chapter 5, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now, the elders are not older people in the church. Don't misunderstand that. This is an office. This is a position in the church. 
Now he's speaking specifically to elders, but let me just stop right up front and say that what what Peter is about to walk through with us is not just for elders. It can be applied to any leader in any position in the church. So everyone, please pay attention. Are you an elder at C4? You know who you are? Are you considering becoming a future elder at C4? To every pastor in our community, to the worship leaders that lead us week in and week out, to the staff of C4, to those that have the spiritual gift of leadership and shepherding, to those that function like deacons and deaconesses among us, to those even as volunteers who lead whole ministries or oversee people, listen very carefully. Peter says to the leaders among you, and as a fellow leader in this movement of Jesus, he says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Now you read that and I read that, but we miss the humility and the power of this. Yes, it's true that he's a Christian. Yes, it is true. He is a leader and an elder, but there's such humility here because his story has so much more authority than his title. Just let's be reminded again of who Peter is. An uneducated fisherman who was bordering on religious extremism, becoming a religious terrorist, Jesus personally walked into this man's life and called him to follow him. He made him the leader of the 12 disciples. He was the first to understand and confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the hope of Israel. He's the one who tried walking on water. He was one of the few that was at the transfiguration where he literally saw in vision Moses, Elijah, and the glorified Christ. He was there when Jesus raised people literally from the dead. He was there when the Sermon on the Mount was given for the first time. He saw Jesus cast out 6,000 demons called legion like it was nothing. Peter loved Jesus so much that just before his arrest, he cut a man's ear off trying to protect his master. But this great leader, a few hours later, most of us know, is the same one that would not defend Jesus, but curse Jesus, disown Jesus, reject Jesus, actually blaspheme him, cuss him out, Peter and Judas, if you watch the story, are literally walking down the same path. Jesus, after he rose from the dead physically, personally had a meeting with Peter and restored him and made him the primary leader of the new movement called the church. Peter was the first Christian ever to preach the first Christian sermon. He formally included non-Jews into the church. He was set free by an angel while in prison. He was told publicly to shut up for speaking in the name of Jesus. He was at the critical moments of great revival in Acts 2 and Acts 4. And church tradition tells us that he would take the message of Jesus all the way to Rome and in the end being crucified upside down because he did not want to die like the one that he loved so much. Now in between his death... And all this great stuff we read about in the book of Acts, Peter comes to this group of churches and says specifically to the leaders, I am a leader. I was there at the beginning. I have made so many mistakes. So please, I don't just want to speak to you because I have the title. Listen to me because I have so much wisdom. I know what you are about to face in this coming persecution, and I know what you're going to have to do. Now, in this breath, when he writes this verse, he says these few words, I am a witness of Christ's suffering. Now, if you know your Bible, you would be confused as I was. 
See, there's no reference really of Peter that I could find Peter really being involved in the cross event at all because he rejected Jesus, hid, and ran away. So is he saying it for effect? Is he saying it to get attention or puff himself up? No. Peter's saying something actually more profound. He said, I have already stood for Jesus. I have suffered for Jesus. I have witnessed Jesus' suffering in my own life, actually in my own body. See, everyone, don't forget this this morning. When you as a Christian ever suffer for the cause of Jesus or for the name of Jesus, whether someone physically hits you or mocks you or puts you in jail or puts you down or steals your job, every single time you suffer at the hands of others in the name of Jesus, Jesus himself suffers with you and in you. When someone attacks a Christian, they are attacking the living God of heaven and earth found through the Lord Jesus. When Jesus confronted Saul, who was complicit in the murder of Stephen and was on his way to systematically begin to jail men and women because they just believed in Jesus, Jesus showed up, remember, on the way to Damascus and in a vision confronted Saul, who would become Paul. And this is what took place. Saul says, who are you, Lord? And this is how Jesus responds. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When you murder my children, you are murdering me. When you jail my children, you are jailing me. So Peter is saying, I am a Christian and I am a fellow elder, but I have already suffered with and along and in Jesus so many times. So as this great storm is now coming towards the church and to to you as leaders, I can tell you what to expect, how to act, and hold on to hope in the middle of pure consuming darkness. He says, so, let me read the verse again from a different translation. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. There it is again. Before he gets into how to walk through all of this, Peter, time and time again, every time in this letter before he tells us what to do or how to act, he stops and he roots us back in our living hope. Peter shows leaders and Peter shows all of us once again that we have hope. Do you see that word partaker? He says, I already am a partaker in the glory that is coming. I already have access. I'm a participant already in the glory of God that will be fully revealed when Jesus returns. So leader at C4, are you one? Christian at C4. All of you watching and listening online, if you're a Christian of any stripe from any church, Are we yet living out of the glory of God that is already given to us, that is stronger than our darkness, stronger than our pain, stronger than words said over us, stronger than suffering, persecution, sickness, trials, or anything else? Let us be reminded as we go through this together, again, why 1 Peter is being written. How do I cope with suffering and keep hope alive? And Peter said in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and then in multiple times in 3 and 4, no matter your gender, no matter your status, no matter what people do or say over you, you now have living hope and you are a partaker in the glory that is yet to come because of what God has done in you, over you, through you. Past, present, future, secure. Do you remember the words he used? Let me just repeat them again. He said that you are elected before the beginning of time. God, because he is holy love, chose to know you. 
He has made you, Peter said in chapter 1 and 2, holy right now before God the Father. Though we mess up day in, day out, you are perfect because Jesus covers you every single day. You are forgiven and you are mercy drenched and you are born again. And he said to these people suffering that your resurrection physically is guaranteed. Death doesn't have the final say. You're not going to stay in the casket. Faith is secure and it is guarded by Jesus himself. He says that God will take the brokenness and wickedness and evil of this world and he will make us more like Jesus through it. He said that we are more blessed than the Old Testament prophets and the patriarchs because they predicted Jesus, but actually we have met Jesus. He said that angels watch us and are deeply confused because they cannot believe that God is doing such an amazing thing through broken people like us. Remember, he said things like you are a chosen people and you're a royal priesthood and you're a holy nation and you belong to God and you get to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his great and wonderful light. You have direct access to God. God loves you. Hear this this morning. God loves you and you are his child. And as darkness grows and all seems lost, Peter has said in the last chapter, the end is near. God is watching every single activity and those that persecute Christians will either become our brothers and sisters or they will be held accountable on judgment day. There is vindication. No injustice will ever escape the eyes of God. This is why we can say that Jesus has won. And this is how we partake in the glory that is already in us, that is going to be revealed. Now, Peter says, now, leaders, come close. If he was in our culture, he'd say, come have a Starbucks with me. Sit. We need to have a candid, loving, affectionate, friendly, truthful, realistic conversation. Things are growing dark. And you're not going to escape what's coming. So here's what I need you to do as the leaders of your churches. You be shepherds, verse 2, of God's flock that are under your care. You watch over them. You, you care and you watch over the beloved church that God elected and Jesus died for and the Spirit lives in. But to understand the power of what Peter just said, we need to unpack a few things. First, if you know your Old Testament, we know that God is our shepherd. This is a deeply rooted idea in the Judeo worldview, the Judaistic worldview. And deeper than that, shepherd is a revealed name of God. We all know Psalm 23. Even people who've never been in church know it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes, he is your personal shepherd. But not only is he your personal shepherd, he is the people of God's corporate shepherd. Isaiah 40, 11, look, look your God, look at him. God the master comes in power, ready to go into action. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. Now this is why, by the way, if you've never thought about this before, what Jesus said 700 plus years later is powerful and actually profound and blasphemous and wrong and sinful unless, of course, he is who he claimed. 
When Jesus came along and said, I am the good shepherd, a good shepherd lays his life down for the flock, he is saying, I am Yahweh, the God of Psalm 23, and I am the God of Isaiah 40. And so he says, I am this. And God is our shepherd. But interestingly, in the Old and New Testament, God is not just called shepherd. Leaders and priests also were called the shepherd of God's people. So Peter says, with all that background, leaders, God has actually given you this church or group of churches. They are literally under your care and under your oversight. God is the chief shepherd, and you are an under-shepherd. Now, right when I say that, especially if you've done church for a while, you're like, yeah, 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 no. See, if this is actually true, then two things are true. Number one, God himself has given authority and leadership to a small or certain group of people in the church. Church leadership, I know this is terribly violating for us, it is not democracy. Church leadership is about a heaven-given assignment. But within the same breath of saying that, leaders, let me say something to us. We are only stewards. We own nothing. We don't own any person in this church. Not one of them. We don't own this building. We don't own the money. We don't own the reputation. We are only managing another person's work. You know, Paul used a very different image to bring home the same point. Writing to a different church in Corinth, he said these words in 1 Corinthians 4.1, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Speaking to that whole church, Paul says, This is how you, ready, must think of us. Now, if you're given an option to think about someone, either you agree or disagree. If you disagree, you will not submit to their idea, but if you agree, you have to submit to the idea. And this is what he says, oh, listen, I know we're all Christians, and I know we're all priests, and I know we all have access to God through Jesus, and I know there's a level foot at the cross, and I know we all actually have spiritual gifts, and God loves us the same, but some, some have actually been called to lead, and most have not. Leaders have been personally affirmed by the living God for a season, and that is affirmed by the spiritual gifts and by the community. So Paul says we are servants. And by the way, that brings it home. Let me explain this. The word servant is the idea of a bond servant or a slave. These were people in the ancient times that had been given their master's credit card, if you want that image, and had full authority over their master's house, even though they did not own it. They ran the staff, they ran the money, they did the whole thing, but they owned nothing. Joseph in the Old Testament was a bondservant to Potiphar. Paul comes along and says, we are bondservants of Christ. He owns the church, but we've been given full authority to manage his house. So first Peter and Paul together, so as under shepherds and as bond slaves that Jesus himself has placed over these local churches, you as leaders are called, we as leaders are called to emulate, be like, grow towards the one who has given us our authority, the chief shepherd, Jesus. Now, how do you do that? He says, well, let me tell you, be leaders, verse two, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those given to you, entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So let me ask a very difficult question this morning. Are you an elder at C4? Are you a pastor at C4? 
Do you have any authority or leadership in this church in any way? To any of you watching online that is a leader in another church, this applies to you. Do you want to be a leader? Do you think that maybe you want to be a pastor? Well, here are three places, Peter says, you are forbidden to lead from. Actually, here's three reasons why maybe you shouldn't be a leader. See, beyond spiritual gifts and community affirmation and God's calling in your life, Peter says, let's stop and let's go down to the bedrock of your life. Let us talk to a leader's heart and will and motive. There are three reasons that must never be the reason why you lead how you lead, or what fuels your leadership role. And when things get tough, and when you have to make calls no one wants to, and when persecution comes, the real leader, that's you, is going to come quickly to the surface and will see who you really are. He says, here's the first thing I want to talk to you about. I never want any of you to serve because of duty. Now, this is profound. I remember sitting in Bible college, and I had a great experience, lots of good friends, but I genuinely wondered why half my friends were there. And when I sat, I said, well, why are you here? Well, I couldn't get another job, okay? Or my parents made me come here. I don't want to, and I was sitting here going, why, why are you here? See, duty is when you do something, not because you want to, but because you've been commanded to, and you have no love for it. But God loves a generous, willing person, not a person living under compulsion. See, a leader that loves God has said to God, I will do whatever you ask. I am at your disposal. I will lead because I love you, love your church, and love the word, the world. That word willing really st- hit me this week. This word willing has two roots. One of them is military. One of them is religious. The word willing militarily is I will sign up. I will go to the front line and I will serve my commander even if I lose my life. The other religious expression of this is I am giving a costly sacrifice. So this reads like this. I am willing to become a sacrificial, love-filled soldier that might even lose his or her life for the sake of my king and his kingdom. You still want to be a leader? Duty. And he says, not only duty, here's the second thing. You can never as a leader lead because of money. Some of you are like, don't worry about that. Yeah, I know. But you don't do it for the money. Paul's clear that yes, we need to pay leaders and stuff. But look, you never lead a church or a ministry or a small group or a connect. You don't do it to get money. You don't do it to get influence. You don't lead to gain opportunity to be famous or get rich. You don't do it to write the next big book or the next best worship song. Those things are fine. But why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it for money, for reputation, to get an extra sense of self-worth because you have a broken self-image as a human being? Are you trying to add to your nest egg? Are you trying to prove your parents or your critics wrong? No. If any of that happens in leadership, that's a bonus, but that is not why you lead. Paul very bluntly says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that elders and leaders cannot get drunk. They have to be gentle, not violent, not be quarrelsome. And he says you cannot be a lover of money and lead. He says duty is dangerous. Money will corrupt you. And then, oh, here's the third thing. Do you remember this famous statement? Lord Acton famously said or wrote, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You can never lead to gain power. And if you have power as a leader, which all leaders do, you must be extremely careful with the power you've been given. The Christian movement is called to be marked by one word, meekness. 
Great power and great ability under control. That is our calling. I think any of us who have done church for even weeks would be able to think about where we've seen this fall down. Where leaders for a season or a lifetime have misused their power in God's name. Dominating, power hungry, spiritually abusive, using God in his name to get what they want, when they want, how they want. Seeking to increase power for the sake of power, flaunting or forcefully overdoing things, arrogant, selfish, excessive threats, emotional manipulation, political force. That is not of our movement. That is how the world leads, not how our king leads. Peter comes and says compulsion and greed an unworthy motivation and power which is addictive and reputation stealing where you touch God's glory is always crouching at the door of every leader no matter how good they are and comes strongest on when we are under the greatest pressure. Church, can I ask you how much are you praying for our leaders in this church? This is what we face day in and day out. Are you fighting for us? We're no less human than you. Peter comes and he says, you cannot lead like this as the storm comes. And this is how I want you to lead instead. I want you to be an example to the flock. Let your life inspire. Ready, everyone? Here's the moment. Growing character over gifts and abilities every single time. Character matters more than your giftedness or your title or your calling. Paul wrote this so interestingly in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So many people say, oh, he was being such an arrogant, well, lots of words. No, he wasn't. He had every right to say this. Now, what's so interesting is that it's actually Paul that wrote this. One of the strongest, most A-type personalities, not the most huggy, huggery leader you'd like to hang around. But this actually brings up something important. Let me address this at this moment. I know what's going on while I'm preaching this. Because remember, I wasn't always a pastor I used to be in a volunteer in this church for years and years and years. And I wasn't always a senior leader. I also was a leader in this church as a pastor who was under others. Many of you at this moment as I'm preaching are thinking about past experiences uh, at other churches or at C4 or leaders. And you're saying, that's right. John, are you listening to yourself? I hope you're listening. I am. But let me also say this to our community this morning without anger, just open. Peter's call here does not mean that leaders should not lead. This does not mean that elders should not oversee. Leadership means that, to lead, to oversee, to move forward, to say yes to things and no to things, to shut things down and start things up. The call by Peter is not to neuter leadership, but the call by Peter is to root out wrong attitudes while a leader is leading. Pride, anger, and fear are the monsters in a leader's life that lead to duty, money, and misuse of power. And as I shared a few years ago, right here, these are the very monsters that Jesus started to deeply confront in my own life in 2011. What a painful, freeing, humbling, and let me add, ongoing experience. Church, never confuse abuse of power and leadership. When you don't like the decision of church leaders, that doesn't mean their motives were wrong, nor they're always seeking power for power's sake. Leadership is sitting in the chair that no one wants, making the call that no one wants to make, and living with the consequences that everyone talks about the decision they weren't willing to sit in the chair to deal with in the first place. 
That's what leadership is. And it's more difficult in church because there's God involved in a few other things. Now, why is Peter addressing leaders in this moment? Because leaders are always the first targets during persecution. Leaders undergo the greatest strain, emotional, mental, sexual, spiritual, relational. And these leaders are not just leading a church in the best of times. No, no, they're leading the church in the worst of times where the government, family, and supposed friends are now targeting them. And they're trying to keep a church inside together while the outside is turning on the inside. And Peter stops at this moment and he looks at the leaders and he says, oh, look forward and look up. Don't lead for duty or money or reputation or power. No, no. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So many leaders quit. I've read the study, so has Dave and the other staff. The mortality rate of pastors in North America is shocking. I remember a very dark time in 2007 and 8 here. I had committed myself to Jesus when I was 12, I was in. In. I reoriented my high school to be a pastor. And I remember when pastors started leaving ministry or failing, I'd be like, you're so weak, and you don't care enough, and you're not committed enough, and if you just be strong enough, you know, like me, uh, yeah, etc. But in 2007, I remember saying, I'm done. I'm done. I don't like this anymore. I don't like the people. Sorry, love you now. Don't like you. They don't like me. And I remember literally out in that lobby saying, I just want to be a Walmart greeter. And by the way, if you're a Walmart greeter, thank you. I, it's not an insult. I literally wanted to go to a job where I didn't care about anything and I could just say hi. I said, this isn't worth it. And Jesus says, oh, I know. I know, leader, what you go through. The decisions you have to make. Misunderstanding of people. People coming and going from church. Always wondering about the money. Hours of prep. Prayer. Attacking. Living with it all. And everyone wants you to be a theologian and a motivational speaker and a CEO. And yet they want you to be your shepherd and a visionary. He says, look, when I appear, the chief shepherd appears, I will reward you for your work. I will reward you for everything that you have done that was not based out of duty, money, or power. All that stuff fades, by the way. And I'm going to give you a crown of glory that will never fade. Leader, money fades, period. Reputation and popularity fades. Want to know about it? When you leave this church and I leave this church, someone else will take our job and they will like them too. Power fades. We don't own the church. We don't own a person in this building. We don't own this building. And when Jesus is saying this, he's, look, I'm going to meet with you. And when I meet with you face to face on that day, I will reward you with something that will never fade and it will never lose value and it will never dim. It will never wilt. It will never fade away. It will never go out of fashion. Why do you lead? Where do you lead from? Who do you lead for? And what do you lead to get? Peter says, lead for the gift that you won't get until he returns. Because the rest of it burns. In the same way, verse 5, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. I know what some of you go like, all right, let's go. Go get those young people. All those millennials with all their tattoos and their skinny jeans. No. No, no. No, no, elders are leaders. This is not a call to respect the older among us. Actually, this is a metaphor. All you who are not elders and leaders in the church, all of you, no matter your age, 
Be subject and submit yourself to the leaders of the church. Shoot. Right. As we found it before Christmas, Peter says that holiness, godly living, the strongest expression of living hope is found in one shocking, difficult, jarring word, submission. And he's talked about the government and in our homes and in our employment, but now he speaks about church. By definition, submission means that, to be ordered under another according to the order of that relationship. The secret to holiness, the strongest outworking of fearing God, the the strongest way to love others, the strongest way to walk in the love of God is to have every life in this room, in this church, molded by the word called submission. Submission to Christ and his lordship, submission to his love. How do you do that? You build your identity out of being a partaker in his glory. Submission to the fear of God, you're going to give an account. Submission under God's word. You don't read this book like this. This book reads you. Absolute authority on all things is here. And submission to those that God has placed over you. Now, as I've shared every week, submission doesn't mean blind, unchecked conformity. It does not mean utter submission. It does not mean unthinking adherence, but it does mean what it means, submit. The author of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 13, 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. By the way, just to say this out loud, leaders will have a much more difficult time on judgment day than you. We will have a much greater difficult conversation to have in Jesus than you ever will. And for some of you who have lived with bad leaders and think they got away with it, no, they won't, right here. But then he says this, do this so your leader's work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. My joy or burden A leader's joy, an elder's joy, a pastor's joy, a staff member's joy, a volunteer leader's joy is not in their own hands. It's in your hands. The congregation will be the one that either burdens and destroys leaders or gives them great joy, and there's nothing we can do about it. The author of Hebrews comes and says, leaders will will watch over the flock and will give a greater account than you, but please, please, please make their life not a living hell, but a little heaven on earth. How do you do this? Will you submit? Obey, follow, move along with the leaders. And if we ever command you to sin, get out now. Run. Now, if there's a theological difference you have between yourself and a leader, or there's an issue of conscience that is not black and white, sin and not sin, then you have two options. Please listen. You either stay in the community and you sit, you submit, you do not cause disunity, you do not keep bringing it up, or you leave, and when you leave, you're honest why you're leaving, and you leave well. But most never commit to the idea of long-term submission. I don't like the music style, I don't like the direction, I don't like the number, I don't like the mission, the vision, I don't agree with stopping this ministry and starting that one. Stop. Is it sinful? Then stop, submit, and serve. One question I always ask people when they leave, and by the way, there are good times to leave churches, even good ones. That's okay. I mean, I left a church to come here, so it's all good. But if there wasn't a church for 200 miles from here, would you still say? And if you wouldn't, what does that say about your heart? Well, in the middle of calling out wrong motives of leaders and not letting anyone off, And then dealing with division and rebellion. And remember why Peter's writing this, because he knows that persecution comes, and actually as persecution gets worse, it's going to get more difficult to love each other. Peter then does something that is unbelievably brilliant. 
He calls all of us to commit to an act that will breed unity, overcome division, show us how to lead, show us how to follow, and actually love one another. So all of you, you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Now, I was really struck this week when I was reading this. That word, clothe yourself, is only found here in the whole New Testament. And I had no clue about this at all. That this actually refers to an apron that slaves, ready, and shepherds would wear. And they would put on an apron to cover their clothing so when they were doing their work, their clothing would not get dirty. Let me demonstrate this this morning. He comes along and he says, this is my apron at the house, by the way. It's Star Wars. Isn't that amazing? Side note. Thank you. I actually was like, this is really bad because A, it's got cat hair all over it. And B, you can see it's got the Darth Vader on it, which is actually the opposite of everything I'm teaching you. And then there's, and then there's Yoda, who's a new age spiritualist who's really in trouble because he thinks he's God. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about that. You're all seeing me wear an apron. If I walk through the halls, you're all going to see this. Peter comes along, he says, I want you to apron yourself with humility. Everyone is going to see the apron when you wear it. And this is for the old and the young and the mature Christian and the brand new Christian and the older among us and the younger among us and the men and the women and the teenagers and the young adults and the children. Or as Paul put it in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. Paul isn't saying I want a bunch of automatons that walk around and always agree and never disagree. No, but in the middle of the apron of humility, suddenly we will forgive each other. We will not just put up with each other. We will walk with each other. We will mend our ways and we will mutually submit one to another. Clothe yourself with the apron of humility. Why? Because God to the Christian opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. That's a quote out of Proverbs 3. Solomon, the greatest man that ever lived, penned this. James, Jesus' half-brother, puts this in his book also. He is basically saying that pride and self-sufficiency is a cancer in a local church that must be cut out. You know why self-sufficiency is so dangerous? I love when one person said this, it does not know its own need. It walks in proud self-sufficiency. It cherishes its own independence and it will not submit to any person, not a leader in the church or anyone else, nor will it really submit to God. It does not recognize its own sin. Pride like this can never receive help because it does not know it needs help and therefore it cannot ask for help. It loves not God or others. It just loves itself. Humble yourself under God's hand. Humble yourself under the leaders that God has placed over you for this season. And God, because he is watching your attitude, will raise you up in due time. And the due time could be in this life or at the resurrection. But the point is stop trying to fix everything 24-7. Remember, God actually is sovereign. If you're a leader at C4, considering being one, I would like to speak to us. I was with the staff two weeks ago, or last week and a half, 
the extended staff, we all met together, the north side ourselves, and we were celebrating a lot of what God has been doing. And I got up and was talking about where we're going for Easter, and I said, you know, we're between waves right now. Now, if you've been with us for this journey, you know that we've been praying for renewal, revival, awakening. We have a series of promises God gave us. And our experience with God has been quite unique since 2011, where it's like God sovereignly, like a wave, will come unbelievably close to our church for a season. There'll be multiple conversions, just tons of baptisms. Marriages will be restored. People will deal with sin they've never talked about. People will get healed. And then it's like Jesus like steps back. And every time he steps back, we're like, have we sinned? He's like, no, just sovereignly I'm stepping back. Imagine waves that come in strong, right? And then they go back out and gain strength and a larger wave comes back. And this has been happening here now for years, back and forth, back and forth, stronger. And then he steps back and we're in between waves right now. There's another wave coming, by the way. Just want to say that very strongly. All the promises to our church and region are still in effect, 100%. And in this middle moment, I was reflecting how many leaders, volunteer and staff, have been growing, changing, organizing, and actually even being more honest about who they are. But I want to say this this morning with some authority. To my fellow leaders at C4, this is what my charismatic friends would call this word in season. Elders and future elders. To myself and Dave as the pastoral lead team, to all pastors and staff, to our worship leaders, to you who have spiritual gifts of leadership and shepherding, to those who function like deacons and deaconesses, to those who are volunteers, who oversee ministries. Why are you leading? And what is your source? Now, before any one of us answer in our heart or out loud, don't. Just stop. It is going to take the Holy Spirit to reveal our real motives. Duty, money, power, self-image, greed, lying, dishonesty, hoarding decisions, not trusting and empowering others, doing ministry for us or our brand or image, using God's name in vain to get our own way. Leaders, we, must have, we have a heaven-given assignment and authority over this flock. There is no doubt about it, but we have to be like the one that has called us. Talent which oozes in this church and your title and spiritual gifts only get you in the door. Character allows you as a leader to stay and be respected and be followed. Mark my words, people will flock to and submit to you if you're a character-filled leader. You know, we as leaders are only stewards. I've said this three times in this message, we own nothing. Last week, I had no formal responsibilities on Sunday morning. And so what I like doing, I have a little game I like doing. I like sitting where no one expects me to sit and freaking people out. It's great. I do it twice a year. Last week, I was sitting back there in second service. And the lights came up and people were like, oh, oh, hi. Like, how are you doing? They're like, why are you here? I'm like, I'm going to church. Oh, have I done? It's like a principal moment. Have I done something? Oh, yes, you have. I took the glasses off. No, 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 not at all. I'm just like here at church. And I had not written this sermon yet. And I remember looking across hundreds and hundreds of people and thinking the thousands of people now come to C4 and the lights and the money. And I found myself saying out loud, I own none of this. You know, I regularly pray for my successor. I have no clue who they'll be. I pray for my successor because it's a spiritual discipline for me to remind myself I actually only am a steward. And my prayers will be better than me and more profound than me and have greater effect than I ever will. Leaders, we are only stewards for the season. We own nothing. We've been given responsibility. But let me also say this. We are the spiritual lids of this church. We set the tone, health, spiritual vitality of this church. We cannot give what we do not have. 
By the way, am I saying that our staff is falling apart? No, actually, our, we're more healthy than we've probably ever been. I'm proud and excited to be on this team. But I want to remind all of us, between waves, God has decided to do an extraordinary thing here because he decided. And God is going to do and is doing the unexpected here. And God, I want to leaders, God has promised our church personal renewal. That means that you as a leader, I as a leader, will be personally renewed with Christ if we ask. He has promised an ongoing revival that's going to spread across this whole church and we're going to be part of a move of God in our region we've never seen. But we as leaders cannot be satisfied with normal. You know, this was sent in last week during, I think, our second service and I got it separated from this message. Malachi 3.1, then suddenly the Lord who you're seeking will come to his temple. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify ah, the Levites, refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men, and let me add women, who will bring offerings of righteousness, and the offerings of C4 will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in your former years. What an amazing word for us to get, because this says that the Lord, as we've been asking, is suddenly going to show up again, and he's going to come, and he's going to do everything he's promised. But notice where he starts, the priests. He makes the leaders right before everyone else. I just want to say to us as leaders, this is what we must be. Not overnight, and as a congregation, you better give us space to grow because we're just humans. But honestly, leaders, very few churches in North America have the promises we have. Very few people have the resources that we have. Very few people have seen what we're already seeing seeing in the beginning days. So my challenge to us is that we go before the Lord and we say to him as leaders, literally anything, you undo me, so I look like 1 Peter. To the younger among us, that's the rest of you. What's the takeaway for you? It's this, submit. And actually, I would encourage you to say it out loud. Submit to God's hand and submit to the leaders of this church. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself for Jesus' sake to every authority instituted among people. God has placed leaders at C4 for this season. Do you even believe this? Do you think we're here by democracy or do you really think we're here by the hand of God? How do you support the leaders here? How do you talk about us when we're not in the room or about this church or about the vision or the capital campaign or fill in the blanks? How are you praying? Are you building support? See, this call for you, like us, is a call for submission. And it's not just unity, though we desperately need unity continually. This is actually a call to be actually like Jesus Christ. This is an invitation in the hardest way to become like Jesus who submitted himself. But the outworking of this would be that every person makes the decision in their gut that you're all in. For this season, not forever, right? We're not tattooing something on you, C4, forever. We all go. But for this season, you're saying, I'm in. Mission, visions, value, support, money, prayer, evangelism, mission. The whole, I'm in. I'm here for this season. And if you can't say that, then you have to ask the question, do you have a rebellion problem? Do you have a misunderstanding Do you have a theological difference that you have to make a decision about? Or do you have an issue of conscience? And by the way, if you do, that's okay. No one's going to, I'm not sending teams after you, ushers go. No, no, it's okay. 
Make the decision and leave profoundly well or stay and profoundly get involved. Leaders, we are called to be like this. All of us who are not leaders are called to submit and all of us together have to choose to don the apron called humility. No, no problem. So here's what I want to say. Very simple. The band's going to come up. I'm going to lead three simple prayers. For you in the north, same thing. Same thing. And all it is is a call to be biblical. I'm not going to ask anyone to stand other than this. If you're a leader, you do need to stand at this moment. So if you're a pastor or an elder, or you oversee, you're a coach to all our, our like, if you're a leader, don't be ashamed. You're not getting targeted. We like you. Stand. And we, publicly as leaders, have to pray this first. And then the rest of us, we're going to respond. So let's just pray. Lord, we know that things are getting more difficult and more exciting all at once here. And honestly, we need your help. And we're praying for revival and renewal and awakening. And we're praying for a move we've never seen. And we are trusting in your promises. And we are praying in faith for thousands of people to meet Jesus in this church. We are unashamedly. But Lord, look upon your leaders, elders and staff members, worship leaders, volunteers. Remember we are dust, O oh Lord. Oh my goodness. How we need your help. Make us like this. Help us not to serve out of duty or want this for reputation or money. Forgive us, Lord, when we haven't loved your church, your chosen, elected, blood-bought, spirit-filled church. Sorry for, at points, even hating your children or being angry. Lord, we're dust and we're just as leaders saying, oh God, would you help us? Would you move? Would the Malachi 3 word to our church happen? Because you're good, it's not judgment. Come like a launderer and clean us. Clean us deeply so we can serve right. And now for our whole church. Lord, I pray for a gracious submission across our whole movement from old to young, to submit and say yes. And if, Lord, if you're going to lead people out, may it be done with such generosity and beauty. People say, wow, even the process was good. But I pray for submission to grab hold of our whole church and people to say, I am fully in to the unity of the body and I'm going to submit because I want to be like Jesus and I'm in for this run to reach thousands of people. And for all of us, if you wouldn't mind all standing now, I think we can all pray this together. You in the north, you online on vacation or somewhere else, you can stand. Simple prayer. Lord, make us humble. Make us humble. Like, help us to don the apron of humility. Do this unnatural Holy Spirit Jesus-driven work that violates everything we've been taught. God, our Father, who elected us 
before the beginning of time, God, the Son who is the chief shepherd and owns this church, and God, Holy Spirit, who makes us like Jesus, and Jesus who takes us to the Father, we invite you again and ask for renewal, corporate revival, and awakening. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.